I'm Roger Baker, Executive Director of the Stratfor Center for Applied Geopolitics at RAIN, a global center of excellence for geopolitical intelligence and analysis. Learn how you can put geopolitics to work for your organization at rainnetwork.com. I think the future it looks a lot like influenza. You're going to have to change the vaccine depending on what is uh, predominant at that point. Welcome to the RAIN Insights Podcast. I'm Emily Donahue. The Beyond COVID podcast series looks beyond COVID and updates you on the new and next emerging infectious diseases and what individuals and businesses should do to prepare. Let's listen as our host, David Lawrence, gets the latest updates from Dr. Bill Lang and Dr. Fred Southwick. Fred and Bill, uh, again, thanks and uh, happy new year to you and to the audience. It'd be great to get the latest update on variants. Uh, as I mentioned to you before the call, I'll listen with a different uh, era of experience since I came down with a uh, case right before New Year's. Uh, fortunately, moderate, uh, but still dealing with some of the after effects. But what are we seeing now, and particularly um, in the Northeast, a lot has been written and spoken about a new variant that uh, is not necessarily responsive to the vaccines, but which uh, the vaccines seem to have been helpful in limiting the severity. Well, the biggest thing I think that people need to keep their ear out for is the news organizations are trumpeting in capital letters that this is the worst, this is the most infectious variant ever. Well, that's true, but that's by definition. The way that epidemics evolve is that when you get new variants, the only way it becomes the new the new predominant variant is that it is more infectious than the previous variants. And that's exactly what this is. However, we are not seeing huge numbers of new cases. We are actually seeing hospitalizations having fallen consistently for a week. We're seeing deaths fairly flat over the last month. Um, so it does not appear that this is by any means this XBB 1.5, um, which follows closely and is still mixed with a lot of XBB together, representing the predominant in the in the Northeast, especially and rapidly becoming predominant across the country. But they are predominant in number. But the disease caused is, generally speaking, now this is not talking about um, older age groups, people with other other uh, conditions, but generally speaking, this is not causing severe disease. Yeah, I agree with Bill. The, uh, you know, we're looking at uh, really a Darwinian uh, process in that what happens is there are variants, The as we know, the RNA is not faithfully reproduced, so there are mutations going on all the time. If one is more contagious, that particular one, that gain of function, that gain of contagiousness will uh, lead it to be dominant. So every time we see a new one start to predominate, that is because it is more contagious. So that's to be expected, as, as Bill said. Uh, the, the, what's happening is the XBB uh, 1.5 is derived from BA2. Uh, the vaccine, the violated vaccine, was to BA5. And so it, this XBB 1.15 is, is more, is, has greater differences, antigenic differences, 
than the vaccine and is, is really evading uh, all the vaccines to some extent. Now, I think the evasion is, uh, it, as far as getting disease, it looks like the vaccine isn't protective, but I think it is. So far, it appears it is protective from, for hospitalizations and death. But also, I, I think we uh, should be using Paxlovid a lot for this uh, particular variant uh, because uh, the vaccine may not be quite as effective. And uh, I just reviewed the data again, and Paxlovid is very effective, uh, reducing hospitalizations by 50 to 80 percent. Maybe you can give uh, the audience some context of where these, why these variants occur, where they come from, and a little bit about what to expect uh, going forward. Is this the new normal? We're just going to continue to see, you know, different variants of uh, of COVID, and we just have to learn how to live with it. Uh, should we be expecting new engineered vaccines? What should, what? How does this happen? And sort of what should we expect going forward? Well, you've got to remember, though, COVID is a coronavirus. There are four other very common coronaviruses. There are many other coronaviruses, but four other very common coronaviruses that are fairly infectious and they cause the common cold. They actually, a coronavirus cold is, I, I don't know that many people really try to differentiate which what virus is causing what cold too much. But anecdotally, a coronavirus cold is probably a little worse than a rhinovirus cold. But it's still, it's, it's a cold. It's one of the common colds. Um, that's what this is evolving into. It is for most people today, a infection with COVID-19, with SARS-CoV-2, causes essentially the same as the same cold that the other coronaviruses cause. Still, however, people who have risk factors, especially older, overweight, um, they are experiencing worse issues. But for the most part, it's causing a cold now. Yeah, yeah I agree with Bill. We actually uh, have in uh, review right now uh, a paper comparing uh, Delta patients admitted to our ward versus uh, the Omicron. And there's no question the number of intensive care unit patients, uh, patients with Omicron that end up in the intensive care unit is, was one third of that of Delta. And also the need for oxygen was half as often. And the number of chest x-rays that were clear uh, that didn't have any pneumonia in the Omicron was much higher. So, and that's what a regular virus, a regular rhinovirus or the other coronaviruses, what they do is they only, they remain just in the upper airway, the nasopharynx. And the Omicron variant is closer to those coronaviruses as far as where it's ending up. It's predominantly staying in the upper respiratory tract. What that means, though, it's uh, because there are billions to trillions of viral particles in your upper airway, it is highly contagious. But the good news is it's less likely to cause pneumonia. And most of the individuals that are dying are in the age group of uh, really over 70, 75 on those with serious underlying diseases. And that could even happen with a rhinovirus uh, and the regular coronaviruses in that any stress, if you're really... Uh, very weakened because of age, immunocompromised, underlying diseases, uh, one little extra insult can be the difference between life and death. 
So I, I think that's a lot of what's happening. It's not the intrinsic, what we call virulence or ability to cause disease that's the problem with Omicron. It's that it's so highly infectious, a lot of people with very weakened uh, immune systems and weakened uh, health, poor health are getting this. And then that's sort of the final straw. And that's that's why they're dying. Just as we have with often with flu. It, it becomes the final straw. It's not the it's not the caught the the root cause in and of itself. There there's a very interesting study that I just saw came out. It was published, um, I believe, on Monday out of Israel. They looked as you know the Israelis have a have a very good public health system and a national health a insurance based national health process. Um, they looked at six hundred and twenty three thousand people over age sixty five who were eligible for the bivalent booster. Now, out of those 623,000 who are eligible, unfortunately, only 14% actually got the booster. They're having the same resistance to booster um, that we're having. But here's what is interesting. Um, of the people who got the booster, only 0.007% ended up getting hospitalized. That's a pretty small number. But of those who did not get the booster, 0.06%, 0.007% of those who received the booster were hospitalized, 0.06% of those who got the primary series but did not get the booster were hospitalized. So the booster is definitely making a difference um, with hospitalization in this well-monitored um, Israeli population. And what are you seeing on the horizon just in terms of I'll use the term generically, the Pfizer's, Moderna's of the world, uh, the Merck's of the world. What are they working on uh, with respect to, you know, future variants or other types of pandemic issues? Fred, I don't know if you've seen anything, but I've actually been looking for it. Um, you remember back when we came out, when we, when the, the drug, the uh, vaccine manufacturers came out with the bivalent vaccine. They turned on a dime. They were originally going to issue a bivalent that was a combination of the original plus BA1. And then FDA said, we're, we're basically, we're approving, the, we're approving the bivalent vaccine, but we want you to use BA5 instead of BA1. And over the period of a couple of weeks, they changed it out and, and put out the new bivalent a booster that was made of the, with the BA5. Well, I haven't seen anything about doing, doing a new booster with XBB or XBB 1.5. I would expect that would be something that they could do fairly easily, or perhaps even BA2 and get a little more of a root. But, but I don't know why they're not changing now that BA5 is no longer predominant anywhere in the, in the U.S. at least. Yeah, I don't know. It makes sense that they should be able to do that. And it's, I, I think uh, the future, it looks a lot like influenza. You're going to have to uh, change the vaccine depending on what is uh, predominant at that point. Uh, the ideal would be, and, and you mentioned this before, that there are uh, some vaccines that are looking at uh, parts of the virus that do not change. And if we could get a vaccine that, that identified uh, those antigens, then it wouldn't matter what happens in the spike protein. Uh, we could all be protected. But I don't know what what stage that is at this point. Do you know, Bill? 
I, I have not. I've, the last on that that I saw was a, a consortium that was led by, a Bel I believe it was a Belgian company and the U.S. Army. Uh, we're getting pretty far down the road on that, but I haven't seen a recent update. So the other big issue that, that is, has many people concerned right now is st starting this last weekend was the annual major travel se season, the, which is termed the Great Migration um, that involves primarily China, many other um, Asian nations, but all surrounding Lunar New Year. Um, you know, there is the great bulk of the Chinese population actually travels more than 100 miles over the course, and many travel internationally over the course of the roughly 40 days um, surrounding Lunar New Year, which is actually starts on the 21st and goes through the 27th of this month is the technical. But the travel season is most of the month of January and into the month of February. And if we go back historically three years it was the the travel the great migration right after covid started in hunan province that spread covid throughout the world so there are many people who are looking right now and saying yeah the numbers are looking good um, we're not seeing huge increases in anything but china just opened up uh, china is not having the degree of restrictions that they used to have and they are opening up their international airports to inbound and outbound travel without significant restrictions. So lots of people are afraid of what that may do to international spread. Lots of countries have reinstituted some type of border control um, re involving anyone traveling from China, including the United States. Um, so that is you know, looking back and trying to see what happened before and not repeat that issue. Um, but that is a lot of, there's, I think, a lot of concern regarding that. And most people are kind of hedging their bets on any predictions until the middle of February when this travel season will be will be ending. Yeah, I, I agree. It is a worry. And uh, one of the things that, uh, you know, it shows how uh, government policies can go wrong. The zero COVID policy was very good at the very beginning. But then uh, they should have uh, encouraged, the government should have encouraged a policy that would, uh, where everyone would get, uh, develop immunity. In other words, get herd immunity as, as, as aggressively as possible. And that was through vaccines. One of the big problems is the killed vaccine is just not as effective as the mRNA vaccines. And China was offered the mRNA vaccines, but would, did not uh, uh, take those offers. And uh, the consequence is the Chinese people have the lowest level of herd immunity of any country in the world. So they are going to, when new variants come in, they're going to really spread very rapidly. I, I personally think by the Chinese traveling and then coming back to China, it's going to endanger China more than any other country because all the other countries have very significant herd immunity as a consequence of infections and as a consequence of uh, mRNA vaccines. So, uh, you know, we're all worried about China uh, infecting us. I think in reality, the danger is more we're going to infect China. Now, one key policy that I think is very good the CDC is doing is they are doing genomic sequencing of all these travelers to identify new variants that might be of concern. 
And I think that is very important. When you look at where the mutations are in China, the most, the prominent one I understand, Bill, is BA7, which is way back. That's an early uh, variation. So they're, they don't have a lot of the later uh, um, subspecies at this point. But believe me, when all the uh, Chinese come to all Europe and the United States and everywhere else, they're going to pick those up and bring them back to China. And it could cause uh, quite a bit of severe disease. So I, I, I agree. I actually hadn't thought of it that direction, but I think that's true. Um, but I think that I, I'm, I'm hopeful that China is not going to be hammered quite as hard as a lot of the, the media are saying. And I, there's, I, if I'll quickly run through five reasons why I think that's the case. Um, one is that we've China has watched the rest of the world manage this for three years and has a pretty good idea of what works and what doesn't. And remember, when they did away with the zero COVID policy, that did not just mean everybody do whatever you want. What they put in place was actually very comparable to the CDC's recommended policies as instituted by most, state, most states of the U.S. about a year ago. So there, it's not a zero control, zero mitigation. It's just a much different than what it was. The second is that this is not the same virus that overwhelmed Western economies in 2020. It is more infectious. And actually what, what Fred is saying, they're going to be bringing back even more infectious variants, but they don't have the virulence. So we're probably not going to see as much highly damaging disease, at least in the economically productive segments of of the of the populace. I worry what this is going to do in the older age groups um, that already are have a fair degree of being medically underserved. Um, third is I do think that in China they have much more disease-based immunity than we acknowledge. And it's because there's been a lot more COVID circulating in China than than was ever admitted to. We know that. Um, people would hide if they thought they had COVID because the last thing they wanted was to be put in one of these COVID camps that they had. So I think there is more immunity than, than we know. And the vaccine, while not as good, it's still going to be protective to some extent against severe disease and death. Um, fourth is that when American and European countries were hurt, hit hard, there were no vaccinations. So China does have the vaccines. It's not as good, but it's still going to help mitigate. And then lastly, when we in the West were hit hard, we didn't have any significant antivirals. We had remdesivir early on, but that was only available inpatient, or basically only available inpatient. We did have monoclonal antibodies, but any physician will tell you they were hard to get. It was not easy to get a patient in to get monoclonal antibodies. Um, China, however, they're going to be hit during a time in which uh, Paxlovid, and there are others internationally, Paxlovid still being the primary antiviral, is available. Um, that's going to significantly mitigate the economic impact of it. It's still going to have a huge amount of um, probably of deaths in the older age group, but I don't think we're going to see as much impact on ec economies and supply chain as many people fear. Okay, that leads to the uh, final topic for today, which is the data coming out of China. And I, I don't want to get into any kind of political sinkhole, but um, as publications such as Bloomberg and The Economist and, and I think most recently the Washington Post have pointed out, 
there seems to be a, a difference between um, what is actually occurring and what is officially being reported uh, out of China. And so I guess that leads to the question of travel safety, what should we be looking for? What data do you guys think will be important to understand um, any additional risks uh, to the global economy, but also, you know, to uh, individuals here in the United States and people who are traveling? As far as the data goes in China, no one knows what to believe. Um, we are not we are not getting good data out of China. Um, one one province, Henan province. They said that the, the health director there said that his best estimate is that 90% of the population of his province has had COVID since the 1st of December, 90%. Um, but they, he says, but now we're coming out of it. And he said, we're, we're seeing far less, um, if that's the right phrase, uh, cases than we were seeing just three or four weeks ago. And we don't know if that's generalizable across the country. It wouldn't surprise me, though. They said in um, the capital province, Beijing area, that there, there were a total of seven deaths on Monday. I don't think anyone believes that there were only seven deaths due to COVID um, on one day in a, in a province of more than 30 million people. So we can't, we can't make any assessments on the data. Yeah, Bill, I, w I was looking over the, the data for Omicron, uh, and as you know, in the United States, it was late December, early January, peaking in, in uh, mid-February, and uh, the Chinese were still in zero COVID uh, mode, and they had uh, 400,000 cases uh, in February of 2022 due to Omicron and 2,000 deaths uh, that they reported. So you're right, they, the Omicron, e e even shelter in place or lockdown doesn't work with Omicron because it's so highly contagious. And I think that was another reason why it did make sense to continue to have everybody isolated and be put into to, uh, uh, quarantine camps, etc. Because the cat's out of the bag so fast with this particular virus that um, the thought is that probably if one person in the family gets Omicron, it's highly likely that 100% of the family will become infected very, very quickly. So uh, I, I agree with you. I do think that there were a lot of infections due to Omicron and that has enhanced their herd immunity. Um, so, um, and I don't, the, I've seen the Washington Post has been publishing uh, satellite photographs of crematoriums that seem to be overly crowded uh, and raising the possibility that, that there are more deaths. And I do predict, though, that those deaths will be in those uh, over age 65, more 70, 75, are the ones that Omicron uh, will uh, cause death. Uh, younger individuals, it'll be a severe cold. I've been asked by a number of companies, what do I think about uh, travel, business travel to China um, in the, you know, over the next month? And my, my general guidance has been that if you can avoid travel at least until roughly uh, Valentine's Day, when we'll have a really good idea where things stand, that's a pretty, a pretty good way to, to go. 
if you have to go, by all means, make sure you're fully vaccinated. Even though, as Fred had said earlier, we're not sure that the vaccine does you know, is going to be that effective, um, especially with the these kind of different uh, strains that are that are circulating in um, in China. But it should it is fairly effective against preventing se- severe disease or death. But if you have to go, make sure that you have a plan for what happens if you've got to stay for an extra week to recover from COVID. Um, but I would try, I would think about avoiding travel through the, uh, the Lunar New Year period and until at least a couple weeks after. Yeah, one of the things we saw in South Africa and, and happened in, in Great Britain, less so to us, is that with the Omicron, it's so infectious, everybody gets it at once. And then it plummets. The number of cases will plummet. And I think now that they've opened up uh, China to the extent of other countries, that may be the same case there. In other words, they're going to have a big peak, and they may have been already over the peak for all we know. And they, it's very likely they'll have a very steep decline. And then uh, China will become less dangerous. So I want to thank both of you uh, for, again, following the science and the data. Uh, the takeaways are at least as I'm hearing you, age does matter uh, with respect to the virus. Um, Getting vaccinated and boosted does matter. Uh, The ultimate goal is to avoid hospitalizations and obviously uh, deaths. And uh, we should be expecting sort of more surprises on the horizon. Um, So I think that's a a reasonable summary of, of how both of you are thinking about this and it will be interesting to see what new data emerges, whether it's from China, Israel, um, South Africa, or Great Britain. So thank you both very, very much, and everyone should just stay safe and well. Thank you, David, and Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Thank you. Happy New Year. Dr. Fred Southwick is an infectious disease specialist at the University of Florida College of Medicine. Dr. Bill Lang is an expert in public health responses to biological incidents. David Lawrence is the founder of RAIN. RAIN is a risk intelligence company that provides access to critical insights, analysis, and support to ensure business continuity and resiliency for our members. Learn more about RAIN's market-leading risk intelligence products at rainnetwork.com. That's R-A-N-E-Network.com. I'm Emily Donahue. Thanks for listening.